0: It's Thursday, 4 p.m. Central. I'm Fred McMurray, which means this must be... <laughs>
1: Hello and welcome to Pillars of Franchising. It is what day, Kristen?
2: You're muted.
3: <laughs> oh my gosh! It's going to be a Kristen year, not an Elizabeth year. I was hoping you would notice as I queued you up to say your favorite day of the week. It is, and I already said it, and I was dancing around to the music. Yeah, I blew that one.
1: Yeah. Well, why I'm don't funny. you tell us anyway? What's today?
3: My favorite day of the week is Friday Eve, right? we have an amazing show today. I cannot wait. I have one of my favorite co-hosts with me today, Scott Greenberg, the wealthy franchisee, and uh, we've got a very special guest that we'll also announce later on in just a few moments. Woo-hoo.
1: Exactly, and I want to remind everybody before we go into our word on the street to call in um, if you have questions, because we do have such a great jam-packed show um, with a lot of People filled with franchising information. If you have questions for our panel or our guests, you can call us at 323-580-5755. Awesome. So word what? On the street. What, is so the word? what is the word on the street, Kristen? Oh,
3: the word on the street, of course. So today was a very exciting uh, day on the street, but not really on the street. We were in McCormick Place today. Um, checking out my favorite fleet provider, as many of you may have seen on our Instagram or Facebook or TikTok. Um, I have chosen the brand Toyota to back um, all of my fleets. So right now we have 15 cars that we use for our Molly May business. And I went down to check that out today because one of the big things that is killing every small business right now are fuel costs. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So while Elizabeth is frozen, uh, the reason that we went down to check it out is because there's been a lot of talk um, for people who have fleets of cars, how do we really get control of that? Is, it, is the answer really buying a car that has higher mileage? Well, the issue for us is, while it may have higher mileage, we have a really difficult time fitting all the equipment in the trunk. So what we needed is a small to mid uh four-door uh, car and the Toyota Corolla happened to be just right. Now, however, the marketplace has opened up where it allows people who have businesses like mine and maybe our guest who has trucks and vans and things of that nature to really look at um, opportunities in hybrid and even up and coming in electric cars. So the big test today was to go out and see what is out there in hybrid, what else do we have out there in electric and try to analyze what, and we haven't, finished it yet. So don't, I don't have a a clear cut answer yet, but we have a lot of people working on it. At what point is the price of the car, whether it be electric or hybrid, either break even or better than a fuel car? So there's a little research to be done. Obviously, hybrids um, are coming down in price. Electric are still quite high. Um, When you have a fleet like ours, you know, how do you put in charging stations for 15 cars? And what is the distance that you can go on a single charge. Great example, I looked at some really good electric cars today, about 111 to 150 miles per charge, which is not bad if all of your locations are in close proximity. So we have some that are you know, 25 miles this way, 10 miles that way. Seems to be okay, you would think, but a lot of back and back, back and forth, stuck in traffic, Um, if you choose to go that route because they're inexpensive, cars and they are electric you have to really be careful with how you're routing your teams making sure that you have top efficiencies and where you're going we look at a lot of mapping systems we track all of our cars with geotabs to make sure we know you know where are they at the moment where are they going next are they on time how fast are they going um, it even tells me if the girls are driving recklessly or if they're um, doing fast acceleration or harsh braking so i know if i have people out there in cars that are just burning fuel because they're not driving appropriately so for those of you listening who are considering getting into a business that has a fleet um, this is a big topic i would say to follow and really look into when you're doing your break-even analysis and your business plans for a new franchise think hard about what are the benefits and the break-even on a fuel car or gas car traditional car versus a hybrid or an electric car So with that, from the Chicago McCormick Place, um, fabulous car show today. um, I would like to say make sure you do your homework and seriously consider getting smarter cars if you've got a business with a fleet. And with that, here we are, Scott, how are you today? Good, Kristen, how are you doing? Doing great, doing great, I'm so excited. Um, I have to tell you all that I couldn't wait to have Scott on the show, not only because he's one of my favorites to interview with, but because he turned me on to Carmelo. And Carmelo is the CEO of SprayNet, the home improvement franchise spanning over 100 territories already. I can't believe it. Um, And they focus on um, R&D, new products, services, and technology to consistently provide homeowners with smart, cost-effective, specialized home improvement services that modernize a property and increase its value. Now, Carlos, I'm reading here, you're certified in coding technology and formulations. Can you tell me a little bit about that and what you're doing with that in your business?
2: Yeah, well,
0: uh, I mean, when I first started my business, I was actually, even before my business, I was actually a student painter, a uh, college for a student painter. Um, only to recognize that whatever paint you could get in the store wasn't necessarily conducive to what we wanted to achieve, right? We wanted to achieve a factory finish, something that looked good, you wouldn't have to re re-paint it. Um, so we started looking at what people are doing in the factory, right? When you buy a brand new door, uh, it's been painted, right? And most people realize that it doesn't scratch, it doesn't peel, it doesn't chip. it just looks new for a long time, right? Eventually it will fade, but it won't really start feeling like paint will. So we thought, what if we can bring that on site? And when we tried that, it didn't really work, because uh, the thing would crack, right, when you applied it, because it was made to really spray, wrap, and ship, right? Industrial coatings. Uh, so started looking at ways to be able to actually bring that on site, and that's how I got into formulation and coatings because everybody was thinking it was impossible, but I knew it, it, it had to be possible. So I finally found the chemist who was open to the idea but I don't think we we'll speak the same language, uh, so people did my own research online, found a few courses. That's kind of how I got certified, if you will. But I think most of my uh, experience is, is, is practical uh, more than theoretical, I guess, for this one.
2: So
3: how did you? I want to just quickly kind of review how you got into franchising. So you had this idea, you wanted to do better. Makes total sense. That I came out of home improvement. Totally get that. How did we go from being a chemist to being
0: a franchisor? Tell me briefly how that happened. I was a franchisee, right? I was a student painting franchisee. And the story I like to tell everybody is we grew our business from 2011 to 2015 from zero to over three million bucks. And at that point, I was the call center, the salesperson, the production manager, the painter, the whatever whatever you want, hat you want to put on me, yeah, I was doing it. And the story I like to tell is I was actually on a ladder in the house, talking to another crew with the phone here, and the phone fell, and I threw my, my, my spray gun down and said, this is, enough is enough, something has to change here. And uh, that winter, that off-season, because this should be seasonal back then, the, the E-Myth revisited by Michael Gerber, and he said well, what kind of and I said, well, I used to be a franchisee, why don't I try to be a franchisor? And literally that year, uh, we decided to put together a franchise offering. Uh, we ordered our first two franchises two hours east of here, two hours west of here. Even with no training, they actually did really well in their first year, and that's how it started up.
3: Wow. And are you're currently in Canada right? Canada,
2: right?
0: Right now, yeah. I'm currently standing in Canada.
3: <laughs> awesome. Well, hello to the north. I hope you're not getting this big snow like we're getting today, because it is frigid out there.
0: It's nice here, actually. <laughs>
3: Well, I want to congratulate you because you were named the 2020 Global Emerging Franchise of the Year by IFA, as well as featured in Forbes, Entrepreneur Magazine, Franchise, Times, and on my favorite station, HGTV. So that's a huge accomplishment coming from a guy who was out there in a typical day of a franchisee doing 10 different things at once to where you are today. So congratulations with that.
0: We're also from Netflix, by the way. If you guys want to watch Instant Dream Home, we episodes three and seven. So uh, that aired last year.
3: Awesome. That's great. So now the reason we wanted to have you on, because the reality is you don't get to where you are today without some bumps in the road, lumps in the oatmeal, whatever you want to call it, right? Like it's not all smooth sailing. Scott, do you want to tell us a little bit about what you saw so we can get this? Yeah,
4: so, I mean, I just recently, Carmelo was kind enough to invite me to, uh, be, the to uh, be the keynote speaker at his um, franchise convention um, in the Dominican Republic. Um, I don't think any of the Canadians complained about leaving Canada to go to the warm weather and begin the beach for a uh, And I didn't complain either. I was really excited to be there. And Carmelo, I've been talking for a few years um, about possibly doing something together, and he had read my book. He was the very first person to review it on Amazon. And so I appreciated that. So we've had this relationship. You know, as the CEO and founder of this company, Carmelo can talk about all the things that make it awesome, except for one thing. He can't talk about himself as an asset and how awesome he is, because that wouldn't come across as very becoming. But I can, and I can tell you that so much of that success is Carmelo, and I felt that even going into the convention, but I saw something new that I didn't expect, and it was this. So probably, you know, two-thirds of the time when I keynote a convention, it's in the opening general session, and I come on after the founder or CEO does a state-of-the-franchise presentation. So I've heard a lot of them. They all talk about how great things are and how great things are going to be. Better ones also talk about some of the challenges that they're doing about it. But very few also did a third thing that Carmelo did was to say, hey, you know what? Along the way, we've made some mistakes. I put up a slide, and I posted that on LinkedIn that just said, fail. When you actually listen to what the failures were, they were were. actually just operational things. It was obviously a franchisor who was just learning and innovating and trying things. And sometimes these things work and sometimes they don't. That's what happens when you innovate. But what came across wasn't incompetence, quite the opposite. It was humility. It was someone with a growth mindset. And I was just so impressed. And I could tell that all the franchisees were impressed as well. Like if I had a choice between signing with a franchisor who's perfect, or signing with a franchisor who's transparent i'm going to choose the one that actually exists and that's the one who's transparent and so the the transparency and the humility i thought was awesome and everyone did in the room and that's why i posted about it on linkedin because i just thought it was such a special thing and as a hook i said this franchisor really blew it i didn't name it and the only way to know is to actually read the whole thing and then you see well it didn't really blow it it was just kind of made mistakes. it was all about humility and all these people responded I think Carmelo was a little concerned that I called him out, um, but everybody who read the post and everybody who knows Carmelo, it's like, you want a franchisor who's pushing the envelope, who's innovating, who's learning, and for every, to- every, what he called failure, every one of these things, he said, here's what we learned, and here's what we d- were doing about it. I was so blown away and was just so impressed, and uh, he was kind enough to let me post about that on, um, on, on LinkedIn, and I'm psyched to hopefully have a deeper conversation about that now.
3: Yeah, and I'll tell you, I got the chills again as you read it just now, and I had the chills when I read it on LinkedIn, and I just thought, oh, my God, somebody is finally going to stand up and take ownership and say, hey, it's all a process, right? And even if you're in the most developed franchise system, as you roll things out, there's going to be hiccups, right? It's not all perfect.
4: Yeah, well, I think a lot of franchisees are considered their franchise or is out of touch, the franchisor won't name the elephant in the room or won't name the challenges. Um, and again, not that there were a lot. I mean, SprayNet is killing it right now. You know, in both countries, like there's so many things that are great. But even in spite of that, um, Carmela, I was just so impressed that you were willing to kind of share those things. But the emphasis was on what you learned and what you're doing about it. And I think everybody left the room more psyched about you and more excited about SprayNet. I'd love to know more about your thinking going into that. Like, is that part of your usual Conversation with with franchisees. What inspired you at that event to actually create a slide and and, and approach it that
0: way? Well, well, it's funny because I didn't realize that that's not a common thing. So you said (laughs) uh, it's it's normally part of my presentation all the time. So when you came up to me, you said I never heard that. It's like "Ah, that was a bit weird because I mean nobody's perfect, like you said. So why are people pretending like they are? So I guess I guess everybody knows that mistakes happen. So why not just talk about you know? How they happen, what we did to change it, because think about not, not all the friends that really not know. What we did in the background to actually fix it, right? So uh, I guess for me, we're kind of communicating that. Here's how we fixed it. Here's how long it took, and we're gonna keep doing new things. It's gonna happen again, but that's the only way we're gonna continue to grow and innovate. So I don't know. I, I guess I guess I just thought it was part of it, part of part of the usual state of the union. I, I I've had it in my presentation the last two three years at least. So thanks, thanks for making me know that it's not.
3: Well, I think it's, oops,
4: Scott, you're muted. Someone must have muted me for talking too much because I didn't mute myself. So thanks a <laughs> lot, Fred. <laughs>
2: um,
4: you know, I, when I when I wrote my book and talking about like these great franchisees, the interesting thing is whenever I've interviewed them and it continues to this day, somebody's been like, yeah, I don't know why I'm successful. I just, you know, I'm just kind of doing things in a normal way, not realizing how much of what they're doing is extraordinary, that it's not normal to do yeah. that. And so I see why you were great as a franchisee, and I see even more why you're you're great as a franchisor.
5: Oh, a wise guy, eh?
3: I'm really curious as to what the feedback was at this event at your after your State of the Union. You know, did you get a stand up applause? What are your franchisees saying right now? Because I would be like, oh my God, I'm so glad I'm in this environment right now. We, we
0: sent out a post convention survey. Um, and I was actually surprised. Yeah, the, the State of the Union got a really high mark. It got nine, 9.4 out of 10. Uh, so Scott the EU, you. got 9.3. Sorry. Uh, oh. <laughs> but that, that's pretty high, though. 9.3 for a keynote. I think, I think you, you just met in the history of Spray. So Scott's position was amazing, by the way. Um, but, yeah, so I, I, I guess people liked it. I, I was surprised at the score, to be honest. But, uh, yeah, I, I guess... Similar to what you're saying, people enjoyed that, especially because we had a lot of new franchisees. We're not used to that, I guess. Uh, I mean, the other old franchisees kind of hear me say that kind of stuff every year, but yeah, it was, it was
4: good. <laughs> I don't know how I got a 9.3 because that keynote was perfect. It was without any mistakes whatsoever. I don't make mistakes in my presentation, so. I'm it. Yeah, it must have been that one franchisee who gave me a nine instead of a ten. <laughs>
3: you should go back and look for their name on that survey. <laughs> so Carl, um, I mean, obviously this has been a really great experience for you. Obviously it's been a learning experience for all of your franchisees. How many franchisees would you say um at that event are new? Like fifty percent within the last two years or what do you have?
0: Yeah. Actually, so we went from 45 to 70 franchisees in the last year. So, you know, 25 new franchisees there. Um, so yeah, a good portion of them are new. And even, even out of the whole, like let's say there's 70 in all, there's about 35 of them actually done more than a full year. So uh, even of the, you know, not entirely new ones, they're still pretty new. Because as you know, in franchising, your first year, you're basically new until you get at least a year and a half. So. Uh, well,
4: uh, Carmela, can can I ask a different question along the same theme is, you know, you provide a service to people at their homes where they're really picky. You're painting their kitchens, you're painting the outside of their homes, and I've got to imagine there are people yeah. who really are focusing on the imperfect. On the imperfection, right? And sometimes their standards are too high, and sometimes maybe it's the franchisee or their crew kind of made a mistake, Um And I'm wondering to what extent, you know, your franchisees are willing to kind of own those sites, and how that translates to a better customer experience or, or you know, know. know. what is the reaction to that to bring that humility into their operation?
0: Well, that's an interesting question because, so I'll brag a bit here about our franchisees, especially in the U.S. Our average U.S. net promoter score is 91. So uh, that's pretty high uh, with like over a 35% response rate. Now, because we have something that's unique, um, I would say we have a bit more uh, leeway in terms of service, and I'll explain what I mean. Um, if you're hiring a conventional painter, um, you know you know what you're going to get with paint, right? You know it's going to be regular paint job, like a regular paint job. So when you're looking at it, are they on time? Are they clean? Uh, you know all of the other stuff. Are they, so. Because we offer a final product that people are like, wow, blown away with that surpasses their expectation, they kind of set aside if there's any of the other stuff that's not perfect, which should be perfect on, on both sides. But because it's this, this like phenomenal product that people really like both their mind, it kind of helps us in that regard. Because if you read that from score, it's always the product surpasses my expectation. Wow, better than I expected. This one's brand new. They don't often talk about people being on time or cleaning their stuff. There's a few. We need to work on that piece, too. Uh, But we're kind of lucky in that regard. So uh, that's the way I I would handle it. In terms of the franchisees, um, you know, most of them are are pretty diligent, like in terms of of, of, the first aspect the importance of the Google reviews. I mean, I don't brag on their behalf, but we we are pretty lucky to have very diligent franchisees. I mean, our, our, our... Across our system, our net score was eighty-three, which is which is pretty good as an average for everybody. so, I uh, don't answer your question, but I guess, I guess we're a bit lucky in that
3: regard.
4: Yeah, well, I guess if you're blowing your minds in other ways, then there's a little bit of a cushion, a of a cushion in, cushion in area, areas where again, in, in perfections is impossible. Is impossible. Um, but if you're right. blowing your minds in other ways, I guess you're gonna be okay. I guess you're gonna be okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, kind of like your content was amazing, even if your phone may have been off, which it wasn't, by the way. Uh, if your content is exactly, you know, like, we'll forgive you. <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's great. So, uh, uh, you know, obviously, Carmelo, we need to talk a little bit about your business because people out there are like, oh, my gosh, this guy's a great leader. He sounds like he's somebody I would like to join in his mission to grow SprayNet where are you looking to grow tell us a little bit about your ideal candidate and and what it takes for them to get a uh, franchise from you
0: well cool. we're definitely growing all across the united states uh i mean we've only got uh 33 franchisees in the u.s i mean there's, there's room for 300 so there's a lot of light space in the US, uh especially on the west coast but like, we're starting to populate you know the east coast is obviously like Canada, but west coast is really wide open uh, i think well we've got I'm just looking at the map here. We've got uh Salt Lake City, we've got two uh and we've got one in Denver. I don't know if you consider that West Coast but it's uh, kinda of the middle there. But but yeah, so uh that's all we have on that side of the map. Uh, in terms of who our ideal franchisee is, um people it all the time and it depends. So we've got the owner operators that are phenomenal, right? The guys that are gonna wanna be doing their own sales, not necessarily painting, but you know, on site with their crews and, you know, they typically have four or five employees, they'll do their own sales and they'll show up to the job site and hang out with the crew a bit, maybe help a little bit, those who will call the owner operators, right, and those guys will make a very good living, probably run a business, you know, close to a million, slightly under the million, if you've got, you know, the empire builders, those who want to do two, four, five, six million dollars, right, in revenue. And that's typically what we've seen have been executives, right, like, a, uh, you know, or or VPs or directors or managers at, at a corporate job and now they decide they want to start something for themselves. And um, for us, that's been uh, a nice challenge to be able to take someone who has zero experience in this industry uh, and allow them to thrive. And, and over the last two years, we've done a pretty good job, I think, uh, of developing our training because in Canada, it was a lot more of the owner-off so it was a bit easier for us uh, to train these people but when you take someone who wants to be working on their business rather than in their business right away uh, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a different angle to train them and um, you know uh, like you tell franchisees uh you know, i just had a, a leader called central franchise yesterday well, like the training and franchise you guys are basically buying today is not even the same as it was three months ago uh or a, a year ago right so we've literally just redid our entire training program Now it's over six weeks virtual and in-person, where it used to be one week virtual and people retain like 20% of it, right? So we recognize some things and we will constantly try to make it better. Um, Mm -hmm. So I would say the goal, one of my mentors told me that uh, as a a successful franchise, we need to do two things. You need to have franchisees who are able to beat you in in your corporate territory, Uh, and you need to have anybody not just the a players because everybody wants the a players right so if you're a c players c successful too then you're a successful franchise over so that's that's always what we're constantly striving for yeah you know, one
3: thing i really like about that is that you said my mentor so do
0: you, do you use mentor today still yeah so he's one of my mentors so he uh this person and i i don't know if i need to name him or not but he uh, he's got 300 franchises across Canada, the US and a very similar business to us, or Bath Fitters, uh CEO Bath Fitters. Uh, I don't know if you guys know that brand or not, but it's actually out of here. Very cool. very similar to what we do they manufacture all the all the bath enclosures. Um, right. So they're a manufacturer like we are. Uh, they they distribute to their franchisees and they're in the home service space and they offer you're only at the fraction of the cost of replacing your bath. So very, very similar business model to us. Um, and you know, I always kind of pick a brain on how he expands in the US, what he did differently. Um, you know, he's a good sounding board for myself. And we also had an advisory board a few other, uh, I, I guess, well, I agree for it, right? Scott, you know him very well. You were in the board, he's with he was on our advisory board. Uh, we were going to get these people on our advisory board because of winning that prize at the ISA.
3: Awesome. I think it's great, um, Scott, I'm sure you probably agree to have somebody who's clearly been hyper successful amazingly um, in control of your franchise and you still have a mentor. I mean, do you think that's attributed to some of your ability to stand up and take ownership of some areas that maybe didn't go as well as you wanted to the last year or so?
0: Don't know what you don't know, right? Like (laughs) Until you've gone through it. Uh, And even when you ask people, like, been through it, you kind of get Sixty percent of the information, which helps you not get a really strong punch in the face and you're knocked out. But you know, you're still going to take those punches, and you're still going to learn, right? Because you know, you can't replicate exactly what someone else is doing. Everything's situational, right? So it's just about kind of being ready for it and trying to leverage knowledge as much as possible. If you, you know, if you go to the IFA, the International Association convention, I mean, franchising is a nice community because everybody shares that practice right so um you know we're gonna i'm going to vegas in a few weeks uh i don't know if i will be there or not but uh it, it's okay, great right? talk to other franchises people what are you doing what am i doing and and you know we all kind of get better together that's the whole point of franchising well i guess that's
3: why they say you're in business for women
0: not white even as a franchisor i guess when you when you, you get in this community of other franchisors it's kind of a similar, similar style right yeah, yeah.
3: And just quickly, would you like to tell
0: everybody how much yeah. was the investment in your brand to get started for those who are interested? Yeah, it's, it's between about one hundred and twenty and one hundred and seventy-five thousand. Um, you know, a second territory is a bit more than that. Um, on average, a franchise is about second territory, I think, to you know, one hundred eighty to two hundred thousand. That includes franchisee training, uh, initial marketing, tra- uh, sorry, trailer equipment. Uh, as well as cash flow provider to, to get your business off the ground. So um, it's, you know, where SBA approves, you can get an SBA loan, uh, but it's a pretty small investment for the business that you run for sure.
3: Sure. Awesome. And are you um, mainly looking for, I guess it's a blended kind of already answered it, but I've got a lot of people who want to know about semi-absentee or absentee ownership. Can you just speak to that briefly?
0: Yeah, it seems to be the buzz we're franchising at this point. not all I hear. Um, as I, a I no, I mean, not a passive investment, and to be honest, I won't speak on behalf of everybody, I don't know that any franchise is a passive investment. I mean, I think that's just a dream people are selling at this point. Um, Semi, it depends on how you define that. If that means that you know, you're going to be working on your business rather than in business, yes. If that means you think you think be at the beach and be working part-time, I don't know if that works for any business either, right? Uh, I think that's another dream that people are selling. So. Um, we are trying, as much as possible, to create a digital infrastructure for people to be able to work more on their business right away. Um, so I guess if, in that regard, uh, you consider that semi-absentee, then yeah, absolutely. We consider the Empire Builder semi-absentee because they're not rolling other sleeves and painting the house. It's funny, it's like the owner-operators do that either. Um, so both work. Uh, but, you know, one, one, one thing i say about the semi-absentee model is you need, to be, you, need, you need to have the resources, both financial and operational. So if you're not going to be the driver of your business, you need a driver, you need a general manager, uh, and you need to have the cash because you've got to pay this person, your fixed costs initially will be higher. Uh, you need to invest a bit more in marketing because you want to grow your business quicker. So we're definitely open to vote. We just need to make sure that people are set up for success.
3: That's awesome. Scott?
4: Yeah, well, I just want to thank Carmelo again. Uh, it's always great to, to talk with you and to work with you, but to see you in action, yeah, see you doing you what action, you're doing, it's very clear uh, why your brand has gotten so great. And um, if you're a racehorse, I'd be betting on you. Uh, and I have a feeling that uh, a few years from now, it's going to be a lot harder to get you um, on a webcast like this. Yeah, and I would guess the,
3: ter- the, the territories are going to be disappearing very quickly, too. So, And I want to
4: say this about your 9.4 that you got. <laughs> he made a Carmine made a comment to me, you know, beforehand, saying, you know, I'm not a professional speaker like you. I'm like, they don't need a professional speaker. First of all, he was a great speaker. And more importantly, it's like it's the information that he wanted, and he was able to yeah. deliver. So I'm not surprised by that at all.
2: Sometimes it's the content, oh. right? <laughs> That's right.
4: And since I don't have any content, all I have is just like you know the fluff stuff. So you bring both. So Nine point four at <laughs> <of> the very <content>. least.
2: <laughs>
3: Carmelo, thank you so much for spending the afternoon with us. Can you please give our listeners and our viewers um, some ways in which they can contact you if they're interested in a spray net franchise?
0: Yeah, well, well we've got uh, spraynetfranchise.com. Um, I don't know if we're booking a link or not, but it's all in words, spraynetfranchise.com. Put in your permission there. Go for a development team and you can and they'll definitely
3: contact you right away. And we will post all of these social media links on our page, and um, anybody listening if you've missed any part of this great interview with Carmelo, you can certainly go on YouTube and watch it again. So, Carmelo, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on, and I cannot wait to talk to you again, because my guest got him next to yours, so. You're going to pop another 100 or so locations. Thanks. I hope so.
0: That's cool. Thank you Thanks,
2: so much. Guys. Hey, franchise owners. How is your local marketing? Do you feel like you could use some help keeping up with your social media posts and comments and reviews? Do you wonder if you could be doing more to attract local customers? Are you able to identify new movements to your local area? At Westvine, we help franchisees like you reach more local customers through digital marketing. With daily monitoring, creative content, ad placement, and customer data intelligence,
6: I'm unmuting myself. How about you, Chris? Oh
2: hell,
3: you know what the problem is? I had way too much fun making fun of Elizabeth this whole past year. And now Karma. Karma, Jerry.
1: I know.
6: I thought you were gonna blame Fred for it again like Scott did. That would have been great.
3: (laughs) (laughs) You know Oh, hell no. what a great interview like i'm super excited the idea that he's just so carmelo is just so candid and he's open and it's like here it is the just the bad and the ugly and here's how we're going to fix it
2: well
6: you know what um as a franchisee i buy from him because he is straightforward and humble and honest and uh shares all the warts along with all the successes and if you don't know anything about franchising yet and this is going to be your first one that's who I'd want to work with because I know he's going to be there every step of the
3: way with me. Well, the other thing I found is interesting. And I happen to know some people who are very good in their field, right? As he is clearly in chemistry. But his business isn't just about the chemistry, right? He also Mm -hmm. has the people side of the business mastered. He has the leadership side mastered. And it's very exciting to see somebody who's been really, Kind of put together the whole package because you don't always see that with people who are um, scientists in specific areas. You know, he came out of R and D. Often, not always. Often, people in R and D that's their gig, right? They don't necessarily want to get into well, Yeah, you
6: know, so many of our perceptions of different uh, employment categories are based on reality. We've met a lot of people from those categories who fit, you know, that niche, and certainly chemists. With the white coat and sitting in their own little, uh, you know, little corner of the room with their test tubes and so on, and making notations in their uh, in their book and all that. I mean, that tends to be fairly accurate. So to see a chemist who comes out of that that background and is personable, uh, th- can think as a salesperson and as a leader and Presents in front of people well and stuff like that. I mean, he's a he's a one of a kind and and again somebody that I could see attaching yourself to as a prospective franchisee because uh, he's gone through the whole process. He's learned it. Um, again, it appears to me the product he's selling, which is ultimately the paint and the paint job. Yeah. Who would know that better than a chemist chemist that put it together?
3: Yeah, absolutely. And for people out there listening, going, I can't believe you're I live with one so i can tell you firsthand <laughs> i'm speaking from her, from uh, uh from experience but let's talk about his his leadership and, and kind of that whole taking ownership jerry from your perspective i mean even as, as a big multi-unit owner franchisee right tell me about what you thought not only about him in leadership but also for you and your team in terms of leadership how do you How do you come about being able to just be real with your people and kind of
6: blatantly honest? Yeah, I know. You know, I had a conversation with my operations manager for my, uh, the joint chiropractic group today. And we were, uh, uh, we were talking about the financials and there, we're getting ready to have our annual meeting with uh, our celebration with our staff. And the question came up from him, how much do we share so that they understand how their job impacts the bottom line? And, you know, uh, certainly there are things we can't share. But at the same time, few bosses, few leaders share any of that. It's kind of like just do your job and don't worry about all that stuff. But at the same time, as an employee, you know, you want them to buy into the vision and the dream, not just the job. So sharing some of those pieces with them and helping them understand how the pieces come together. You know, uh, with Great Clips years ago. Uh, we developed a ranking system for, you know, at that time, 150 employees on three different metrics, and it came out in black and white. And uh, we were a little nervous about them being, comparing themselves to others. But at the same time, everybody has a certain amount of pride and ego and therefore leadership involved in how they look at the job that they do. So the first time we posted that in black and white, and it was kind of a, oh, that's cool, you know, I'll work a little harder next month to see if I can move up in the in the list. And then about two months later, you know, a, a brick hit me. I think in a, on a job or something, and I had this epiphany that perhaps putting it in colors, especially for creative people, and coming up with a color coded system, you know, almost like a stoplight. Green is great, and, and you know, yellow is modest, and red is bad. And you know, it was amazing. Uh, I it was my job at that time to hang those in the back room, the break room. And the first time I walked into a salon and hung that, somebody walked back and looked at it and goes, what, what's that all about? You know, I mean, what's the color coding? Yeah. And I said, well, it shows who's doing great and who has, you know, room for improvement at different levels. And, you know, across the board over the next few months, we saw month-to-month improvements in virtually everybody on that list simply because it was color-coded and it it kind of stood out more. It made them really think about you know, where they were, which category they were in. And I think from a leadership standpoint, that's what we do every day. I have to be able to go in front of my staff and say, we got it. We're going to make it happen. Here's what I need you to do, but here's the things I'm going to do to get it there. You can trust me. I'm going to have a job for you tomorrow. I'm going to make sure you're well taken care of. And then and then beyond that, uh, I can only speak for myself, but I think part of my leadership is being able to just kind of I guess open myself up, you know with with great clips. Mm-hmm. Um, so many of our staff come from um, broken families and different things like that. and And my wife and I are considered Mom and Dad. Literally, they call us Mom and Dad because we end up filling that part of their of their life in many cases. And these are adults with children of their own, and they look to us not just for the leadership, but almost a little bit of the parenting side too. I know with the joint, it's not quite to that level, but they still really expect Jerry to show up being optimistic and positive and a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit of Don Quixote. Let's go take care of those windmills and let's let's win the battle against them and things like that. And so I I think leadership is critical, especially when you're in a franchise-type situation. So how
3: do you handle it when maybe something doesn't go as planned and it's a failure on your part as
6: the boss I'm I'm very much like Carmel very much like Carmel if they know that we had planned that and it didn't go according to plan I I take a bullet I mm-hmm. step to the plate and go listen this was my idea or I made the final decision to do it and it didn't go as planned here's the backup plan here's what we're going to do to get ourselves back where we need to, to be And I'm going to make sure that it's followed through on and we we get there because I owe it and I always do this. I owe it to you. I owe it to you as our employees to make sure this situation gets fixed and you don't have to worry about it in the future. And frankly, I'll tell you, I look for the same thing in my franchisors. I want strong leadership at the top edge of that organization because I'm investing millions of dollars in them. Maybe it's in their company. But I'm wired to invest in them because they say it's going to work and they've worked out the details. So uh, when there's a chink in the armor and I see them falling backwards, I look to them to say, that's on me. I'm going to get it fixed so that we take care of you. So I think it goes upstream all the way from the lowest job to the top job.
3: Yeah, I think also, you know, as a franchisee, we and we're going to talk with Laura here in just a little bit, but you come into this relationship with expectations, right? Some of them are contractual and some of them have been verbal expectations. And I think that when, whether you as a franchisee or they as a franchisor or even an employee start to um, do things under the covers, so to speak, and eventually it catches up with you, right? It's it's not like you can get away with it. And the reality is with so many people on your side, meaning in this case, franchisees, right? If a franchisor is gonna try to pull something over on you, we're all a big community, we're all gonna talk. Yeah. And so I think someone would be remiss it, as the franchisor to, and certainly they're out, they've are they been out there and, and many of them have been closed, but um, you'd be remiss to try to be dishonest and pull over when really, you know, based on the FCC, things have to be disclosed, right? Yeah. They can't fully operate behind closed doors.
6: So, Kristen, that's a good point. And so I know that because of the SDC and then the FDD that comes for each of these franchises, all the dirty laundry is in that. You can dig into it and you can figure out the pros and cons of making a decision. So even back to the conversation about uh, the leadership of the franchise system you're looking at, you know, when when we were looking at these franchise systems, now understand, you know, a beginning franchisee in many cases may be investing 100 or 200000 or something like that. And that's a lot of money to that. Yeah. I get it. I've got millions invested in the two that I, that I am responsible for. And in both cases, once you get past the FDD, I made the decision to go with these two franchises based on the quality of the leadership for the two organizations. hundred yeah. percent. Hand on the Bible, I will tell you straight up. Because we went through the process in both cases talking to, uh, you know, um, uh, validators. So they're franchisees that have been in the system for a while. So as a prospective franchisee, I'd have conversations with them. They're leaders of their organization, but also quasi-leaders of the franchisor. And so, you know, you base a little bit of your decision on that, and then you meet the people from the franchisor. And to your point, if if it feels a little squishy, if it feels like you're not getting straight-up answers on things, then maybe you need to run for cover. In both cases, we felt we were getting you know, just like the conversation you and I are having. I would trust you with what you're saying. You trust me with what I'm saying. And that was the same way we were in both cases with the leadership of these franchise systems. So prospective franchisees out there listening to this and maybe getting ready to start that process, you're going to have a lot of your decision based on uh, your feelings and the information and the data that you get back through those discussions. And I think leadership is a prime component of that.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And that direct and honest discussion with franchisees, one of the things that we tell people who are looking to buy a franchise is if the franchise or feeds you a list of people to talk to, don't talk to just those people because they're typically handpicked for a reason. It, maybe they've got the rhetoric down or whatever the case may be. Maybe they're top performers. Even. Sometimes the best people to talk to are the people that exited, if you can get a hold of them, and find out why did you exit. Like, what was – you don't spend years and years and hundreds of thousands of dollars investing in a brand and living the life to just walk away.
6: Right. Well, and, Kristen, you you brought it up. Uh, Sometimes it's hard to find those people as a prospective franchisee. And so I, being the shy and introverted person that I am, (laughs) when we were in that situation – I just drove a few towns around us, and that could be to Chicago even, which is four hours away, and just went to the location yeah. of somebody. They didn't know me. I just walked in and said, you know, is the franchisee here? No, could you get a hold of the franchisee and say a prospective franchisee is in the business and would just like five minutes of their time. On the phone is fine, doesn't have to be here. And you would be surprised how many of those franchisees who are not normally validators were excited to have the chance to share their story and so we got to talk to a half a dozen to ten I forget uh, you know which brand I'm talking about but uh uh, on each case that were not validators to get their side of the story and it kind of you know is the same thing you're talking about you get you get the real facts when you go do that kind of stuff
3: yeah absolutely I know we had some really mixed bags in different um franchise systems that we had investigated too so uh, that moral of the story today is really make sure that you're looking for strong leadership. Make sure you're doing that validation. We talk about that all the time, and really, sometimes you have to kind of trust your gut. Um, if it doesn't feel like somebody's being straight with you, tips are maybe they're not. If you run across five people you talk to and four of the five don't feel good, probably time to turn and find something else to look for. So,
6: well. Kristen, I'll close with my wife's famous words when we were first getting into franchising, and she had met all the corporate people and done the validation and so on, and my wife is the pessimist in our family, and we're driving back, and literally, I looked across the car, and she's shaking her head like this, and I said, dear, what's up? And she says, it sounds crazy, but it's a thing to do. Ah. And that's the start of the franchise journey for us. I'll guarantee you, many of our listeners who are prospective franchisees, We'll go through a
0: very similar experience.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And when you do, we'd love to hear all about it. If you need help going through the process, don't forget to give us a call or go online. And we've got um, an area for you to fill it out as well. And now we are off to pay the bills. Gary, I love talking to you. I can't wait to see you soon. Always. Thanks a lot,
6: Kristen. What are the top three reasons that you could tune in to
3: Pellisa Franchising? One, franchise advice from a million dollar mentoring team. And two, how about interviews from franchise professionals and influencers. And number three, how about getting some professional tips on buying, growing, and exiting your franchise. Join us on Police of Franchising to learn about the secrets of franchising success. You can find us at 4 p.m. Central Standard Time, wherever you look. Oh, Jerry, I just want to tell you revenge is sweet. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Laura, how are you? Doing really well, thanks. How about you?
5: It's been a good show so far.
3: Yeah, and I'm so excited to talk to you because so much of this that we're talking about, like expectations from your franchisor and expectations from a franchisee and disclosures and all that stuff, that is like right in your wheelhouse.
5: Yeah, that's what I do pretty much every day, right? Whether I'm writing a franchise disclosure document the FDD, or i'm working with a candidate who's reviewing one for a different system that's that's my bread and butter
3: <laughs> well so let's talk about um you know carmelo such a great guy very upfront honest how much of um how much of that is really in in agreement that people should expect to see and how much is mm-hmm. just being a great leader
5: mm-hmm. that's a really good question um i think that the personality behind any brand you can see it to some extent in the franchise agreement in the documents right um you know there there are going to be things that are you know their lawyer myself included right is going to just insist upon um and it may be that they you know they tell you you bring it up and you're like oh you know this seems really you know one-sided or this seems really you know risky and they they'll look at you and say you know look i my lawyer made me put that in there, but I'm not gonna do it. And, you know, as as a lawyer, I have to, you know, tell them that, you know, you can't really count on that. Um, But, you know, a lot of them, a lot of people, right? You know, when we're dealing with, you know, because yes, it's a business, but it's also composed of people, right? And they have to make a judgment decision, judgment call, to say, you know, do they believe that? Do they trust it? Um, how important is this whatever issue to them? Mm-hmm. You know, is it very likely that it's going to come up um, and, you know, kind of go from there because, you know, the agreement is going to be written to be pretty one-sided, um, you know, and that is the nature of franchising because the franchisor has to protect the brand, not just for themselves, but for the other franchisees too. And it's that's really never going to change. It's never going to be 50-50 and going into it thinking that it is you know that's where there can be a mixed expectation versus the document
3: well let's talk about that what are some of the areas within the fdb that a potential franchisee should really pay attention to when you talk about expectations from more of like an operational so to speak um, point of view and from the honest communication standpoint
5: sure Yeah, so one of the areas, you know, that I think doesn't, it doesn't necessarily show up in the document, and so it's important during the validation calls or other calls with franchisees to talk about um, are different types of fees that the business will have on an ongoing basis, right? Um, What's in the franchise disclosure document are the fees that you have to pay to the franchisor, right? Right. Or to its affiliates, right? So if it creates a, a related company that, you know, let's say sells you the, you know, hamburgers or sells you, you know, your cleaning products, sells you, you know, whatever it is, okay, Um, that's that's an affiliate. However, where I see this come up a lot um, is that our, you know, our world, including the business world, is very dependent on technology, and it's really not something where most franchisors nowadays will go and create their own technology, so that is not an affiliate, and therefore, it does not typically, those fees do not make their way into, you know, what would be otherwise a big list in item six. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I mean, the franchisee can have hundreds of dollars a month, you know, not that hard, right? You know, and those are some very valid technology platforms, you know, things that are critical to the business. And it doesn't mean that they're bad to have those. You know, I, it's, I want them to have good technology. Um sure. But they have to know that when they're doing their planning and doing their financial projections, that, hey, you know you're gonna have another five hundred dollars of required expenses. and not like, oh, maybe one month I won't. Um, you know, plus upgrade costs plus other things. And so it, it is important to, you know, look at that and talk to the other franchisees, talk to the franchisor, ask them about, their technology really get to know if the other franchisees are
3: satisfied with it,
5: because um, sure. if they aren't, you know, it may be something too where the franchisor knows that and they aren't going to change it. You know, in the next couple of years, which means you'll have to change it.
3: Seen some franchise systems that have really um, kind of had an epic failure not so much necessarily based on the way the terms are written but by the way things are communicated and handled maybe not within a timely fashion um
5: yeah yeah i mean there's there's definitely been communication breakdowns um you know one of the issues that sometimes happens is when brands grow too fast right they don't have enough staff to maintain um, adequate communications with the franchisees whether it's for routine support or it's approval of, you know, some I need to sell my business, you know, here's the proposed buyer, um, you know, it could be whatever, but that is something where they grow too fast and they don't staff up, um, accordingly, um, that happens. You know, another one is just, it's, it's the opposite actually, it's where the franchisor, um, you know, sometimes I get asked about this, you know, what happens if the franchisor is not successful, right? We all think, that it's gonna, you know, the franchise, you know, they have 30 units, they have 100 units, they have whatever, um, but, you know, you like, you just don't know what's gonna happen. Um, I have seen franchisors, franchise systems implode right? Where they are no longer with us. Um, and there's a definite lack of communication when that happens. Um, nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to take the time. You know, everybody at the franchisor side is upset, um, understandably. But you know, I mean, the good news is that those are pretty rare. I don't want to act like you know it's common for franchise owners right. to stop operating. Um, but it is something where you know, though, either too much growth or too little growth, um, yeah.
3: they
5: they really end up having challenges. Well, I think
3: that that's where it's really important when you're looking at an emerging brand, and certainly have some really interesting models on, and some that I'm really excited about. Um, But I think when it comes to support systems, infrastructure, um, and in a lot of cases, the CRM, the technology behind it, those are things that someone who's investing in that brand should be very cognizant of. And are all of those located in item six?
5: No, they're not going to be. Because remember I was saying, if it's not a payment that's due to the franchisor or to an affiliate, it's not going to end up in item six. Um, you might find some references to it, although it'll be at a pretty high level in item eight, um, because that's where there's going to be a discussion about, um, re- you know, different required suppliers. However, mm-hmm. it's still not going to be, um, you know, a list of every single one and every single price, and it's not going to be written like that. Um, but, you know, it's funny is that um, you know, most franchisors sell in what are known as registration states, which means that they have to get approval in advance from these certain states yeah. um, to do business there, to be able to sell franchises there. And when you try, you know, in the past to submit a very detailed item, made, something like that would say all of these things, they actually will reject it, even though it gives more information. Um, and, and it's it's sort of at odds, I think, with the disclosure idea but they think that you know it's too much it's too too in the weeds for what the um, document requires so you know even if they wanted to they wouldn't get to (laughs)
3: well now and and that's that's a really great point because i know even as a broker consultant um for me to sell in um washington and new york i have to have um a certain license to sell there now would you say If a franchisor won't go through those hoops or to that level, um, that maybe you need to look a little bit deeper before you purchase? I mean, kind of the way you described it, I would think, oh, why wouldn't you register in those two states if it's a registration state?
5: Well, that's a fair question. Um, I think that, you know, when I advise clients about, you know, where they're thinking about registering or where they want to sell, right, you know, Mm -hmm. the most what I think the most most given advice is right now is that you look at where the franchisor is based. So they might be based in San Diego or Chicago or whatever, and you, you basically make little circles, like concentric circles out from there, yeah. okay? And the thought behind that as a growth model is that you will have people in the region who know the brand, right? They're, you know, they're more likely to generate some kind of buzz, There's more likely to be repeat customers, Um, and that is, you know, kind of, so if they started in a region where there wasn't a requirement to register, like, for example, I used to live and practice in Denver. Colorado Mm -hmm. does not have a registration requirement, and so when I work with clients that are in the Mountain West, um, you know, like Colorado, Wyoming, Montana, um, you know, New Mexico, Utah has a very mild, like, you know, easy filing, whatever. But you know, it's not something where they might have to file for you know a couple years until they really get going. Um, right. I wouldn't hold it against them that they haven't filed with certain states. I mean, it also seems expensive. Um, you know, it could easily be you know if they're just going to do a one-off state, it could easily be like five or seven thousand dollars. You know, to get through if they have a lot of comments from that state regulator, not to mention the fees that are due to the state. So there are valid, you know, budget and sort of strategic planning reasons why they might not be authorized in certain states. But, um, you know, it's, I think you just have to look and say, you know, is there going to be recognition if I buy here? You know, I've worked with right. franchises where, you know, there was a lot of concentration, for example, throughout the Midwest, you know, like through, um, you know, Kansas and Nebraska, Iowa. And then there was like one in Alabama. <laughs> they're like, hi, down there. <laughs> yeah, how are you, how are you? <laughs> um, you know, and, and it's not good that they weren't getting good support, because, you know, they get the same thing, but it's if, if they don't get the benefit of that community in the region, knowing the brand, knowing, you know, having word of mouth, having all those nice things, they don't get the power of shared advertising spending to market, you know, multiple locations, it's it's just going to be kind of lonely out there. Yeah. Um, so that's that's something to think about. You know, that they, like um, before we were talking about, you know, they're trying to push west, And it sounds like they already have some, right? They have some little pioneers, yeah. right? People who have already crossed the Mississippi. And <laughs> it's, it's um, you know, it's good that they have that because now it's going to be easier for whoever comes after them to say, okay, yeah, I'm going to buy in the Denver suburbs because there's already somebody else in Denver. Yeah,
3: you have to be a trailblazer. Somebody's got to do it. Right, right. You know, you can
2: always ask
5: for a discount if you have to be the trailblazer, but... Well, thank sometimes, you so sometimes, yeah, I I try not to encourage discounting too much because it's not usually accepted,
2: yeah. but there
5: are, there are reasons, right? If you are, you know, really going to be an outlier or you're going to be a little pioneer, um, you may want to. Well, thank
3: you so much, Laura. Remember, Laura mentioned today you want to make sure when you're looking at your FDD, check item 6 for some built-in fees, check item 8 for some other expectations that uh, may appear in the FDD. And if you need help going through that FDD, any kinds of questions, thoughts, comments that you have, be sure to put them in uh, the chat next week. You can drop them on our Pills of Franchising site or give us a call at any time when we're on air. So, thank you, Laura List. We appreciate all of your legal expertise in the franchise industry. Thank you so much. Good to be here.
1: As usual, thank you for joining Pillars of Franchising. We appreciate every single one of you. Um, We want to give a shout out to our sponsors, the Titus Center for Franchising at Palm Beach Atlantic University. You can find them on the college's website. Also, Franchise Show 247, which can be found at FranchiseShow247.com. And we couldn't do it without our sponsors, and we appreciate their support. Don't forget, we love to have call-in guests. Our number to call in is 323-580-5755. That is 323-580-5755. If you have questions for our guests or for any of our Million Dollar Mentors, we welcome you to call in at any time on the show, we will do our very best to answer your calls. Stay tuned, more coming up.
3: And as we wrap up the show today, we'd like to thank you for joining us on the show today. So that double and kind of thing. Thank you to our guest, Carmela Marsala of SprayNet. What a great leader he is portrayed to be um check him out on linkedin he's got a great profile out there and thank you to our guest co-host scott greenberg as always we appreciate our uh, pillars of franchising contributors ray pillar Jerry gary acres lora list as well as our producers fred mcmurray elizabeth denham we certainly hope that our great friend Karen timsey work gets better she is out sick today and we dearly miss you karen uh i am kristen Messi and together we are your
5: resource for trans-
3: franchising success a little tongue-tied but This has been Elizabeth Franchising, and remember that the dream starts here. See you next week.